Hello there, guys. What is going on, Son of Chelsea? Back here again for another edition of the Every Other Saturday podcast. Hope you're doing well and keeping safe wherever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, got a great guest on today in Alex Goldberg. I'm pretty sure if you're active online for Chelsea, um, in the Chelsea community, whether that's Twitter, YouTube, uh, podcasting, you'll know who Alex is, the host of the Byline podcast. I've been lucky enough in recent weeks to be a guest on his podcast. A great guy. It was great to collab with him. The last time he was on the channel was over a year ago now, um, pretty much at the start of the 1920 season. So it's great to catch up and speak all things Chelsea. We go in depth, not only on the history of his Byline podcast, speaking about the podcast, the growth of it over the past year, his feelings on the online Chelsea community, also relevant Chelsea topics like N'Golo Kante, his best position, Mason Mount, the ascendancy of Christian Pulisic and what that's like for an American watching Chelsea. And then a little bit on the future of Chelsea and youth players in the first team. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed being a part of it. If you did, please give this video a like. Also, rate and review if you're listening to the podcast unedited. But I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Let's get to it. Okay, so Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the channel today. Um, I think it's been over a year since we collabed on the channel. Um, So much has happened and changed, not only in terms of Chelsea and football, but just the world in general. Um, And of course, I have to say thank you as well for getting up so early American time. I don't know if people can see this on on the channel, but um, it's obviously quite dark there, about five-ish in the morning for you, about 10 in the morning for me at the time of recording. So thank you for that. Um, How has it been for you over the past year? Because the Byline podcast has exploded over the past year. I mean, I've been very lucky recently to to be a guest on the podcast and you've got some amazing guests on there sort of your trajectory in terms of getting bigger in the Chelsea community and and really growing your platform how's it been it's been great it's great to be here by the way Daniel it's good to be back on it's always nice to collaborate with you yeah it's been really really good it's been one of those things though where I even just said to my wife the other day like if I take a second to maybe stop and realize hey you know just had Azmir Begovic on for the fourth time and he's going to be a regular co-host of mine once a month. Like if I stop and think about those things, it's pretty damn surreal because like I often say, I mean, I just pretty much started out as a Chelsea Twitter account. I was in broadcasting, but I totally didn't know this would take off. So fast forwarding the story and everything. Once I started the podcast, obviously the reception, the excitement was incredible. And I made sure you're going to do a podcast, especially make people pay a small monthly subscription you got to make it good you got to make sure the guests are good so i made sure it would start off really well and you know i did have confidence it could have longevity to it like and it could pick it up like you see a lot of podcasts start and maybe the first couple months are good but then they run out of ideas they run out of steam maybe they just don't like it as much they don't like doing it consistently but First of all, I kind of put a lot of my eggs into this podcast basket and it went really well. So why would I want to, you know, abort it? And I just love doing it, Daniel. So all the hard work you put into it, I think the hard work is not when you're on the microphone talking to a guest. That's the fun part. Like that is literally the part where I'm living out my dream in ways. I think the hard part is literally just schedule. It's doing all the behind the scenes stuff, scheduling, maybe a couple people you want to have on the podcast don't respond to you for a couple days because, I mean, you're trying to go for really busy people, right? And then they respond to you both at the same time. So then it's about scheduling and then it's about thinking, hey, does this make sense to have this person on at this time? But that's actually become fun for me as well. So I was saying to my wife, it's nice to stop and appreciate these little things along the way, like who I had on or really nice feedback. However, 
to make anything good, a YouTube channel good, your job in general, but like this podcast for me, you kind of have to have a go, go, go mentality because this is such a competitive business, Daniel. And I really like, though, that the Chelsea content creating world is getting more podcasts, is getting more channels. I do view it as competition, but not really because I feel like all the new ones popping up have their own allure, have their own uniqueness, also are usually bringing something positive to the community. So actually, it just makes me better. And I really think overall, we just need as much great content as possible. So it's going great for me, but I also kind of like the way that maybe it's spilling out into the Chelsea community in general. So yeah, it's been a great ride. I definitely agree with that. And and what I like about your pod is sort of the the mix you have of these amazing guests, whether it be, you know, Harry Redknapp, Asmid Begovic, um, sometimes getting uh, players sort of family involved as well in terms of getting the back background to some of these players in terms of Chelsea. Um, we were just, you know, speaking about certain guests you were, you may be getting on the channel soon and it's exciting. But I also like not only getting on those really exciting guests, whether they be journalists as well, but also mixing that with Chelsea creators and Chelsea fan voices as well. I think there's a nice balance and you could probably, just because you're getting the big guests that sort of attract a lot of attention, I like the fact that you've always sort of stuck to the to the thing that you're, you're a part of the Chelsea community and you want to give a voice to Chelsea creators as well. I, I think that's a real positive too. That's one of my biggest things is it's great having, and I'm not name dropping the name drop, but it's great having a Martin Tyler on or somebody like that. However, Yes, he's a real person, but that's not real life. Like, you don't speak to those people every day. Also, that is one very specific view of the football world. The people we converse with the most are people on football Twitter or just other content creators. So it's important for me to tap into that or else that's kind of fake because, like, I don't talk to Martin Tyler and Peter Jury more than I talk to people on football Twitter and really – Football Twitter gets its own bad reputation, and some of that is very earned, trust me. However, I learned so much having – I think I learned the most, honestly, having other accounts from the Chelsea community on because having them on a podcast, proper debate, not like you do on Twitter, you really hear interesting views and perspectives, and that's good for me selfishly. But then, yeah, what you were kind of saying, like I also like to give sometimes a platform to – voices i think should be heard by more and it's worked out it's worked out fairly well i think that's probably one of the things i'm most proud of i keep using the story of elizabeth helenek who now has done fantastic for herself in the chelsea community and by no means would i ever ever take even one percent credit for her being more known now but it was a good example of i wanted patrons so my listeners to send in voice notes I'm doing this now again full time and I'm starting to discover some really good voices now on the podcast. But I tried this a long time ago on the pod and Elizabeth sent in a good voice note. And yeah, and then I had her on the podcast as a guest in a round table, like I call them. And people really enjoyed hearing her. And I think she got confidence from it. Forget what it did for me or my podcast, but she got confidence from it and kind of ran with it. And that's the thing is maybe we can find people or people can find themselves and think like, oh, wow, I really like speaking about Chelsea. So, yeah, that's one of the big allures, and I'll never stray away from a Chelsea roundtable, like, ever. If I go four episodes without hearing someone from our Chelsea content world or Twitter, I think I'm doing it wrong. Mm. 
definitely i agree and it's great to see how real really positive i think the community has become you know i think obviously there are negative elements that we all see from day to day but i think in in general i think the fact that there are so many voices and those voices want to collaborate and not sort of be in opposition to each other i think it is a healthy thing because maybe in the past we haven't had that and i think it will only make all of us stronger to be honest in sort of this independent sort of creator sort of world we have now where people new sites popping up whether that be writing podcasting making videos so it's, it's it's exciting one thing before we move on to chelsea uh it's probably a tough question for you to answer because you've had so many guests and done so many episodes favorite guest on a channel uh sorry favorite guest on a podcast you know you'd think i'd be better at answering this question by now since i have gotten it a handful of times mm. um all right my my cop-out answer will be dembaba and it's just the easy answer for me because, I mean, obviously I was excited to speak to somebody who I really liked as a player. I, I truly did. But also, you know, he's one degree away from Ed Nazar and some of our favorite people like he and Ed and are great friends. And uh, Demba always to me, just as a fan viewing on the TV, he always seemed to me like a likable person as well, not just like a player who was fun to root for, dare to Demba, that whole phase. So just to have him on, if it was for a half hour, it would have been great. But, I mean, I'll tell this story until I'm blue in the face. I had him on, didn't know how long it would be for. It would take every opportunity to get as much out of it, but I wanted him to enjoy it. And I used to use not Skype, not Zoom. I used something called Uber Conference to get my guests on. Don't ask what it is. It's just a very outdated version of what we use online here. And Demba, really, no one had ever had trouble, hence why I was still using it. But Demba was having trouble connecting to it. It was taking like 45 minutes, and I was freaking out, thinking, is this just going to be the end of my chance here? Is he just going to log off? We don't know each other that well yet, so he might just think, this is my Sunday. I'm not going to spend another 45 minutes trying to log on. So I thought on my feet, I'm like, okay, I know Zoom's popular because the pandemic had just started and Zoom was like erupting. So I was like, Dumbo, you got a Zoom account? And I didn't have one. He's like, yeah, no problem. I got one. I was like, okay, so do I. Lie. And I made one in two seconds and boom, we did a podcast for over three hours. And it was just him like hanging with, and I'm not appeasing myself, but it sounded like he was hanging with a mate and he was just having a great time on a Sunday telling stories and really just treating it as if we were sitting there in the same room, just talking about anything, anything. So I have to go for that one because to have a three plus hour chat with Demba Ba where he sounded super comfortable and everything, that was really a dream come true. Yeah. Demba Ba, I mean, he was, he's one of these players that I think when you actually look at the amount of time he was at Chelsea, he it's one of these weird things for football where you may not be like the best player at the squad. You may not have the most talent, but with the way football works and a narrative of football, you can score massive goals and be remembered forever, even if you didn't score as many goals as some other players. And the fact that he scored the goal against Liverpool, the fact that he scored the goal against PSG, um, I think there'll be so many memories for Chelsea fans because he was involved in big moments. I think like Michi Batshuayi is sort of the same thing. He'll always mm. have the West Brom goal for him in his Chelsea career. And I think that's that's an amazing thing. But it's nice to to know that footballers where we sort of sometimes can see them as sort of out there and not, you know, connected to the real world that, you know, Demba Ba, real guy, real person. And he, he mm-hmm. gave you the time to sort of speak like, like you were a friend. And I think that's really cool. Um, one person I think we're both 
fans of or at least supporters of very vocally on social media is Mason Mount and I know you know in terms of actually sort of speaking about your uh, Twitter career you know your career in terms of podcasting and broadcasting speaking about Chelsea would you say that like Mason is the player you've been I guess as most like vocally supportive of, of the most with like hashtag Mason Mount Monday and seeing his career not only in terms of Derby and Chelsea but before that with Vitesse and growing in the academy I mean it really has been an amazing uh, few years for Mason yeah I mean listen I am at this point very not afraid of just speaking my mind and I'll back whoever the heck I want to back it doesn't matter what trend is going on in social media so uh, Probably Mason's the one that I've kind of attached myself to the most. But I will just say quickly, some of that has been totally run with on Twitter on its own. So I I would say for people who maybe don't like me or don't like my style, they want to try and attach Alex Goldring and Mason Mount at every turn, which is probably a little too much. Because if you have followed my account for a few years, sure, I speak about Mason when I think it's appropriate, which is often I won't hide from that. And I'll do actual serious posts about Mason, but I'll also do ones like Mason Mount Monday. So, yeah, I, I love Mason. I'm close with the family. I mean, I love Mason. However, I mean, I've been obnoxiously loud about Reese James for a few years now, like obnoxiously loud about Reese James. And I always wonder, well, why do they not? Tag me with Reese. What, just because more people universally agree that Reese is ready for it? Because Reese is cooler? Because Reese appeases the younger demographic a bit more and Mason doesn't? So they don't want to say that I ever was a fan of Reese way before everybody else was. So I listen, I'm not looking ever for credit. It's just funny to me that it is marketed as if I only talk about one player, which is a little ridiculous. Like, once again, Callum Hudson Adoy. Who who is the most annoying? And I'm not giving myself any credit, but who is who is unbearable that sorry season talking about Callum Hudson and Alex Goldberg was unbearable. He was annoying, obnoxious, beyond belief talking about Callum Hudson and And that's never wavered. You know, when that whole thing happened the past few months about Callum and Byron and Frank and Callum got all these messages going where's your energy on Callum these days? You just changed it because you're too loyal to Frank and Mason and not Cal. What? I, I do Callum tweets every week. I love Callum. You know, I'm always between me and you, like close with a little bit, the family as well. Like I love Callum, you know, uh, absolutely. So yeah, I would say in short, Mason is probably the one that I just feel like, yeah, if there had to be one, I, I've hitched my wagons to him and I'm, I'm proud of that. And, uh, yeah, I I think that when you back Mason Mount, Daniel, I think you can probably relate to this. When you back Mason Mount, you're kind of in it for the long haul. Because if you have belief in the player and you also understand his mentality, like I have no fear about big backing Mason Mount the way I back Mason Mount because I know that in the long run, Mason Mount will make me look good. That's it. Yeah, I think the, the thing with Mason and... It's frustrating. You see it a lot recently, of course, there's been a lot of... I spoke about this with Matisse, my last guest on the channel, um, sort of about sort of this debate and conflict between Mason and Callum on Twitter. And it's just, I mean, it's so toxic and it's, it, it gets really tiresome. But as you were expressing there in terms of 
people, when you support one player, um, people take that, read that statement and think that you're sort of not supporting other players. And it's just, it, it's such, it's such a yeah, straw man argument. You can't support Pulisic if you support Hudson Adoy. You can't support, I don't know, a number of players if you support Mason Mount. Kovacic is kind of the new one, right? And it's just like, hello, we signed up to have a squad where, fine, maybe your favorite isn't in the starting 11. You're probably going to have your second favorite, your third favorite, and your fourth favorite in the starting 11. That's a beautiful thing. Daniel, between me and you, for years, I mean, I liked a handful of players in this Chelsea team. And Chelsea were still, I mean, you could put out 11 Alonzos, and I was still going to be really upset if we lost and then really happy if we won. But Eden Hazard was a huge, huge thing for all of us when he wasn't in a starting 11. We all were like, oh, this game could be brutal to watch. Like our team was so, especially in the attacking phase, for us to get that entertainment and that extra bit of excitement, it was very Ed independent. Now, fine. Pulisic, if he needs, I'm just saying, and, and we might get to it. Let's say Pulisic still doesn't start on Saturday because Frank's still easing him in. We probably have a po- you know an extra positive that could come from that. We want to see Pulisic, but maybe it means Callum gets another start, right? Like we're in a different era where we need to understand that it can't be this player versus this player when they're all quality players. Let's just enjoy it together collectively. And also, I think um, personally, I you know I think I've opposed. For, for years now you know any sort of abuse to players and it's it's just so weird it's like just because I'm opposing abuse to one player doesn't mean I'm I'm sort of supporting the other I mean I remember writing pieces about sort of defending Jorginho at sort of the height of the toxic days under Sarri and it's it's just weird and it's the same with Murata and Bakayoko you know I've gone on this on my channel a lot of time but it's um it's weird but I think with Mason I mean I'm a I always say this when I get questions about Mason and recently about his positioning and sort of where he should be in the team and will he fit in the team. Um, I've always, my answer to the question has always been, Mason will find his way into this team, don't worry, because Lampard trusts him. I mean, to me, he very much symbolises the best of Lampard's Chelsea. Uh, Would you agree with that? Because I think he's such a great symbol for for what Lampard wants to do with Chelsea. Yeah, I was thinking yesterday that Having Mount out there, and it's still nothing that some of Twitter wants to accept, but having Mount out there, even let's say he's playing out of position, first of all, Frank's going to find a couple positives from him being in said position. Whatever that position is, say it is right wing, right? Well, Frank will say, and by the way, people need to understand, Frank understands that Mason's preferred position is an eight. That's not news to Frank Lampard. I think sometimes Twitter wants to pretend like Frank doesn't even know that about Mason. Of course he knows that. Well, he played him there at Derby, didn't he? He played him at a number. He had the number eight shirt at Derby. All right. If Mason and his father have told me that on multiple occasions, I can bet my bottom dollar Mason's told Frank that. And Frank already knows that. He's no dummy. But say Mason plays at right wing. Well, Frank will think, okay, but now he's a little bit higher up the pitch. So now he can at least angle when we're off the ball, when we're not in possession, he can angle the press at a certain point. And if, you know, we're in possession. He can certainly be a decoy with how he, sorry, the TV came on. That's just raw 5.30 in the morning type stuff. If we're in possession, people need to understand that Mason's very smart about where he shows for it. So you want Kai Havertz in the 10, right? So that's great. Mason at right wing, that's not ideal. However, Mason's positioning often, if he 
is not receiving the ball. It's almost decoy where he's creating space for others. And if he is showing for the ball, he will try and show in pocket. So Frank views having Mason out there as a positive in so many ways. And uh, of course, on Twitter, it gets chalked up as, oh, just because he's a chicken with no head running around and that's all it is is pressing. No, I mean, it really are small things, but a lot of them that he brings to the team every time he's out there, no matter what position he's in. So I think, Daniel, to answer your question, are they just kind of a better team with him out there? Is he kind of a representation of Frank's football? Yes and yes, because he puts across, of course, what Frank wants to do. But a lot of what Mason does is contagious. So I guarantee you when Mason is pressing high up the pitch or he, you know, a big thing for Frank is win the ball back. You lose possession. I want you winning the ball back as quickly as possible. Have we noticed how good Kai Havertz is? He's not Mason in that department, but Kai Havertz now for Germany and for Chelsea, at least in that Carabao Cup game, he has created a goal off of pressing, making a tackle, making an interception. And that is going to start being really contagious. And I'm not saying Mason taught that to Kai, but Mason is a representation for Frank always on the pitch. The Athletic has written about it this week of, what he wants his players doing. He doesn't expect them all to be exactly wired like Mason or Aspilicueta, no. But if he believes in his ability, which is a big thing here, folks, he does, then everything else is really something positive for Frank, and he feels like that can kind of grow into the squad. So I always say, if you don't believe in Mason's ability, and we really can't have much of a debate, I guess, because then I can't even argue with you not wanting him in the team if you don't believe in his ability. If you do believe in his ability, you need to realize that then everything else he brings, it just kind of multiplies the effect he can have. Maybe at the end of the game, it's not a goal and assist for him, but you need to realize he may have made it easier for someone else to get a goal and assist. I think that the thing is with Mason, and it was so apparent last season when he wasn't in the team, how the energy level of us just significantly dropped I mean it got I think it got worrying at a point because you never want to sort of be a lopsided team and rely on just one player same thing quickly to interrupt you same thing happened at Derby the season Mason had an ankle injury so I mean his one season at Derby he was fit for most of it but I want to say into the new year for a couple months he was out with an ankle injury and Derby also lost a lot of life and they started to look not like the same team and mind you Daniel he was like 19 at that age, 18, 19 that season. So, I mean, that speaks volume. So already there in the first season with Lampard, sure, after four or five months of him being in the side, he goes out and a team, Darby, they had every young team. But they also still had plenty of senior players. They started to look like a different team. So it's contagious. It is. And I, I hope to see more of that this season. And I just think Mason will find his way into the team because you got to understand coaches have their favorite players. They have players that they trust and rely upon. And I don't un I don't know why people don't understand that that's happened with every coach and we're not at Cobham. We're not at training. You know, if I was the coach, as Frank says himself, and he expresses this, it's not only about what you do on a Saturday for the 90 minutes. It's about what you do at Cobham every day, every single day. And Frank's sort of professionalism in his career is so much um, a part, I think, of his coaching and his coaching philosophy. He will not stand for players not putting in 100% and it's a very basic thing. But I think people need to understand that about Frank's selection. Just because, say, Kovacic or someone else you think may have superior technical ability, um, it, Frank may look at it and go, 
he hasn't put it in in training this week and that's not a slight on that player it's just the way he goes about things I want to talk about sort of another midfielder in Golo Kante we saw these rumors this week of a fallout between him and Lampard very strongly uh, rubbished by Matt Law, which is, I think, if, if one person you want to sort of rubbish a story, I mean, Matt Law was sort of right out there rubbishing uh, these rumours. These rumours about Kante leaving have, have been present for about three years and all of them get rubbished very quickly. I just wanted to ask you because the debate around Kante ha- about his positioning has been going on now for what feels like five years, but it's probably only about two years uh, since Sarri arrived. Um where do you see his sort of long-term future in Lampard's midfield? Because I think there there is still that concern in terms of balance, isn't there? Yeah, there is. He's an interesting player to have a problem with because, first of all, yeah, I shouldn't even spend a second on the story needing to be rubbish. But it's just funny that N'Golo Conte could have a falling out with anyone. I mean, I think that's hilarious. He's got to be the nicest person, apparently, ever known to man. Now... Yeah, it's just such a weird – I always think Conte is a good subject for YouTube channels and podcasts because he does hopefully produce quality, respectful debate because I think the first season – when I say first season, that season under Sorry that produced a lot of debate over his position, it wasn't always the most respectful debate even between pundits because people were being really – stubborn based on the previous facts that, hey, Conte has never played here before. And it became this whole thing about some people needing to remind others that he's never been a lone DM. Oh, but he's also never been an attacking eight, which sometimes he you know, was was sorry, but he wasn't. He was being the Elan guy from the Napoli days. So I, it created such an uproar from people who thought they had Conte figured out and then whatever. I don't need to explain it to you or your listeners. But now I feel like it's settled down where we've seen that Conte just having him on the pitch, no matter where he is, more often than not, he's going to do something for your team where you're like, wow, no one else will do that. That's very N'Golo Conte specific. I don't care if he's more of an eight. I don't care if he's more of a DM with a pair, a lone DM. He still is such a quality player to have on the pitch. But where can you optimize him, right? That's the conversation. Where can you optimize him? Where can you put him where it will kind of get the best out of him, but also maybe it will allow others to just do what they're best at. Like, can you make Conte where he does what he does best, but also everybody else can kind of just focus on other things. So what I just said there, that would kind of lend itself to, could he be a lone DM? Could he be the sweeper behind a bunch of good attacking players cleaning up everything? So he can focus on being a unique interceptor of the ball and tackler of the ball and, almost just like the first protection to a back four. Can he do that? And I know Frank tried to do that in the restart. I I know Gilmore got injured and then Jorginho came into the side, but it was clear Frank tried that for a little bit. It was clear that he was going to try that. But I think we come back to the conclusion that Conte, to be truly in goal, Conte, he doesn't need to be or he shouldn't really be disciplined to a spot so okay maybe then he shouldn't be alone dm because if he's not disciplined to a spot and now all of a sudden you've lost possession they hit you on a counter you have nobody sitting in that area in front of the back four so that could be problematic so daniel what i've been saying a lot on my podcast lately is i think it's okay at this point to say we don't know where necessarily conte fits best right now I know he does fit best somewhere in this side. Like I did entertain last season, early last season. Hey, do you sell Conte? Do you start thinking about selling Conte? Not because I don't love him. My God, I love him. And Daniel, I'm sure you know if you entertain that with a select few, they'll think you don't love him. But 
I did it purely from a business sense. Could you still get a decent return for them? Injuries are creeping up. Now, I think you've passed that point where it makes almost no sense to sell them, in my opinion, unless you really wanted to go, which I highly doubt that's the case. So now you think about, well, we're stuck with them. What a horrible problem to have. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. How can we use them? How can we best use them? So I think, Daniel, we're going to see him in a couple different roles consistently. I think sometimes we still could see him in a lone DM role. I still think that's something Lampard will try until he gets maybe his preferred DM, who's clearly not in the team right now. And then I do think we'll see him in a pivot. I just don't think we'll see him too much as a right-sided eight, if you will, in a 4-3-3. Like, I, I don't think we'll see a lot of that. So if he is out there with a Kovacic or a Jorginho, I think it'll be clear that those two are sitting a bit deeper. So, you know, Mount, not to bring this back to Mount, we all know he would be best as an eight. I think he'll find his own way, hopefully, to occupy that area. But I've said for a while, I think others have said for a while, the team should and probably will be built around Kai Havertz. So I think when Conte is out there, yeah, he's probably going to be deeper than he was in the sorry days. But I think it will change from him being by himself to him being with a Jorginho or a Kovacic and Daniel, last thing, to him also not starting every damn game. Because I do think Lampard has showed us a little bit so far he has to be a bit more mindful about Conte and what he's dealt with. So, yeah, we could see him on the bench as a lone DM or a paired DM. That's my guess. Pretty cop out answer. <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's the I think that's probably the, the best answer you could give at the moment, because, you know, we haven't there's only been a little bit of this season. So when it's not like we're in we're halfway through the season. So you've had a lot of games to look through. Also, the thing I think the problem was last season was we could never get that definitive answer because he was injured for a lot of the season. Yeah. So we never got a consistent run. So probably we may have got that answer if he was fit the full season, but Lampard had to adapt. He had to constantly change the midfield because Kante would get in the team for a few weeks and get injured again. Um, so the characteristics of that midfield would change dependent on Kante's fitness. Um, I think there's a great misconception about Kante. Even in the early Conte days when he arrived from Leicester, I mean, that title winning season, I was amazed watching him, of course, watching him for Leicester, but then watching him live at, at the bridge and, and how much he moved, how how many positions he'd take up on the pitch. Even for Conte, I think there's this misconception that him and Matic were just sat very deep constantly. Um, look at the goal he scored against Man United. There were many times in that season where he'd drive forward um, and get into attacking positions. I think it is so limited to just say he's a holding midfielder, he's a he's a Makaleli because he's not a Makaleli. And if you put him in that role, you are limiting one of the best midfielders in the world. I mean, for me, Kante is one of those players that if he's on form, he can change the game. He can. Even if he doesn't score a goal, for me, he is that good in, in how important a midfield is. He can elevate our game so much. So I think it is limited to put him in that team role. Um, I, ju I just wonder the pivot, which is what Lampard seems to be going with with a 4-2-3-1 at the moment. And I think that's very much hoping to elevate Kai Havertz's game at number 10. Um, I just wonder, Jorginho, Kante, it was a very nice balance against Palace. I just am concerned when we come up against, say, Southampton this weekend, a team that presses higher how that works out. Um, I don't know if you sh share a similar concern because I think that against low blocks, a player like Jorginho really works well with Kante, but I, I think that will be the litmus test of whether that is going to be a sort of a longer term pivot. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely... I mean, you can think about why Lampard could look at Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante players individually that he all rates in their own way. 
I mean, certainly Kovacic and Conte. He rates Jorginho. It's just very specific, which it is with a lot of managers in Jorginho and probably a lot of people in Jorginho. But yeah, individually, he can decide, oh, this player could be good. This player could be good. This player could be good. But I just don't think there's a combo of players he feels fully comfortable with. I've said it a lot. When Conte and Kovacic are on paper, you look at that and it's like, oh, that's really nice. And then you think about how they're both at their best. When they're both at their best, they're being unique players. They're players that actually, to play at their absolute best, you shouldn't give them a specific assignment of you have to stay in this area because they will be the people to break up a pass. They'll intercept it, but also they'll want to dribble with it a little bit in their own way, of course. But you make a good point about Conte. He's not always somebody who just needs to hold. Like, he will do some unique things even with the ball once he intercepts it. So, yeah, just the combos aren't there. I won't talk about depth and rice needlessly, but I know Lampard was probably drooling a bit, thinking about rice, who could be a bit more of a classic DM paired with a Kovacic or a Conte, because rice would allow Kovacic and Conte to really be themselves a lot more. Now, Jorginho does in some instances. Absolutely. You've kind of highlighted it. If it's against the Palace, somebody who's going to sit back, Jorginho actually can be a, quite a good player in that scenario. But yeah, you're going to face teams who are just going to say, no, it, it, we're not going to allow that. We're going to press you high. We're going to do the same thing you do to us when you, we you have the ball. So it, it raises some concern there with Conte. So I think in, in the short term, you'll see when you see that style opponent, I think maybe you will see Kovacic because, of course, he can be press resistant. He's good at, of course receiving the ball and getting out of sticky situations in his own way. Now, Daniel, I love it from Kovacic. It usually produces a really nice YouTube video as well. Some of the, t- some of the ways he can get out of high up pressure, double teams. However, we also have seen Kovacic in the last six months, probably produce a high amount of turnovers uh, in dangerous areas. Now we haven't really been burned by them a lot, but it does highlight that that is not what you need from a DM first and foremost, the ability to dribble out of dangerous pressure near your own box. So I think when it's Kovacic and Conte, Frank will just hope that the combination of those guys and people helping around can break high presses that are being, of course, attacked against them. However, you know, when you see COVID, when you see Conte, the lone DM, I do think you'll see Mount a bit more as a proper eight. I, I don't know if that's where his starting position will be, but I do think that They've already set up a little bit of a template where someone like Mount can go help N'Golo in the moving the ball forward, the progressing the ball forward when there is a little bit of pressure, when N'Golo would be looked at to do, of course, the facilitating forward job. We've already seen Mount kind of help him out there and do the industrious, as I like to say, the industrious sides to being an eight, where This is I I keep coming back to this. I don't know if we'll see this against Southampton. I don't know how soon we'll see this. But if we do see a team in 11 with Conte, just Conte, no Kovacic or Jorginho, I think we'll see no matter how they align. I think we'll see Mount operate a bit more in his best area as an eight. And maybe Kai would be mm, maybe an eight on paper. But Daniel, I've, I've been really repeating this a lot the pitch does not have to be parallel on each side. So it does not have to be balanced. So yeah, maybe it would look like Kai would be parallel to Mount, right? And then you got N'Golo here sitting behind them. But I really think Kai will be a little bit more forward and a little bit, honestly, more central towards his 10. 
and Mount will be a little bit more further back on the left, still in front of Conte, but doing that industrious job where he's getting the ball from N'Golo, he's pushing forward, he's finding players in pockets, and I think that can work against unique oppositions. But I don't know how often Lampard's going to want to go with that now while the team is still kind of new, even in front of him. But I do think mid to later in the season, when Lampard knows, oof, Pulisic and Ziyech and Werner and Kai, they're they're clicking right now. They're clicking, and we're going to score some goals no matter what. You see a mid-table, the lesser opposition. I think Lampard would feel comfortable enough probably running out that team and having Conte be the guy deeper and Mount doing the industrious job. But it's interesting, Daniel. I had to kind of give you a long-winded answer because I just think based on the opposition right now, Lampard does see he wants continuity in the team, I'm sure, but I just don't think that he, he will have to change the midfield based on the opposition, whereas you hope he doesn't have to do that with other areas on the pitch. Well, it's like what we were saying with Mount. You you have a big squad for that reason. And I think in, in this season of all seasons, having a big squad is is the most valuable ever, really. And um, in terms of fitness, because I, I just realised, um, looking at the schedule, we've got Southampton on Saturday. You've got Sevilla on Tuesday or Wednesday. Man United away. And then it's the, I think it's the, the next Champions League game. I mean, it literally is back to back to back. You've got, a, and it's these players grand. have just been on yeah. international duty as well. So there's going to have to be rotation within there. So as you said, all of those sort of uh, midfield sort of selections, Frank could choose. I, I think we could see them in the coming week. Um, I think it's a bit uh, sort of stereotypical to get an American on the channel and speak about Pulisic. But it's interesting, the last time we spoke uh, a year ago, Pulisic had just arrived at Chelsea and he hadn't even scored a goal yet for Chelsea. And I remember asking you about, you know, Pulisic, how important he was to American football and sort of the hopes of Pulisic coming to a massive English club and succeeding. I mean, 1920, although he did have some early struggles and injury problems, I mean, by the end of I, I thought he could be that good. I couldn't quite believe how good he was by the end of last season. I mean, um, just from sort of a, a local aspect, you know, it, as an American fan watching Chelsea, what was it like for Pulisic? Because I'm sure... As he got better and better for Chelsea, I'm sure the the sort of the media were were over it in America because it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to think about how much more it would be obvious to me and Americans if it weren't for COVID, because then we would see a little bit more. Like we'd be going out to pubs and we'd be just living life how we used to be. We'd see people on the streets more often, and I'd really get a gauge of like, oh wow, there's police kits that I normally wouldn't see. So I think I will see that in due time. But COVID obviously has changed a bit of how I would fully see the impact he's made. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Christian Pulisic, I would say even when he was like 16 or 17, he was out in Germany and he was no more than players we've had, like a Freddie Adu, who might mean nothing to this channel or many people listening. But he was like way back in the 90s, I want to say this young, young wonderkind who was supposed to be the next big thing. And for us, that's how we market all athletes here in the U.S., but especially for, I have to call it soccer in this instance, like it was really an unpopular sport in the 90s compared to our sports here. And once Freddie Adu kind of failed and he didn't turn out to be anything, it just added on to this reputation we have in the country of eh, we're just not any good at this sport we're just really not meant to be good at the sport we can be good at the other ones but it just felt like we were almost starting to become our own joke we were making fun of ourselves we have been for a while with our u.s men's national team however right when Pulisic made that move to germany i do think some people were like hmm, let's see 
Like, because even the most fair-weather fan knew, Bundesliga for a 16-year-old American. Wow, that's not bad. And then you had, like, people like LeBron, right, start tweeting after maybe Pulisic would have a good game or just uh, U.S. athletes with a huge public profile taking notice, who were at least a little bit into the sport, taking notice of Pulisic. And, yeah, he never fully hit the ground running at Dortmund because of little injuries here and there, but he always had moments. He always had enough to maybe – keep you interested me personally i've been outspoken i was always a fan of him but i was so cynical about how the united states was at this sport that i thought to myself we must be overrating him we must be overrating him just because we are just such a joke right now all he has to be is good not even great or promising and we're just going to view that as a huge step up from what we have had but yeah daniel i mean i would say that right when frank started playing him yeah, I know he didn't start playing him right away, but beginning of last season when we saw Pulisic play a bit more, the hat trick, of course, like I did start to think, ooh, wow, okay, all right, like this is not going to be a, a bust or a flop. And his mentality was always something I was really impressed by. So I knew that, uh, well, Frank, it was giving him a bit of a hard time, some people on Twitter would say, with playing time in the beginning. I think in the end of the day, he was just kind of protecting him, easing him in. But also, he was trying to do what he's trying to do with Callum right now. He also was trying to make Pulisic grab it, like really grab it by the horns and prove to him, hey, I should have you in my starting 11 every time out. And my God, I mean, similar to what you were saying with Conte, we could never fully, fully see Pulisic in our side for much of the season. People now forget because of that abductor injury that kind of kept being annoying. It kept feeling like, each press conference we had with Frank, he would finally say Pulisic's in the squad, and it was just drawn out and drawn out and drawn out. And then finally Frank said, like, I feel bad for him. I had the same injury, too, once upon a time, and they just kind of linger. But maybe the pandemic helped him because it did allow him to get some extra time for recovery. And, Daniel, what we saw out of that restart was scary good. Like, that was – yeah, as an American – um, it was pretty cool for me to realize, holy crap, someone from this country and truly from this country too, like Hershey, Pennsylvania, like it doesn't get any more. I know his grandfather, everything Croatian and stuff. And when he was young, he had a couple moments in the UK, but really like truly American Hershey, Pennsylvania. And what we saw at that restart, it wasn't just the play. It wasn't just the dribbling. It wasn't just the confidence he had, but it was like the demeanor and the aura he was giving off on the pitch. It was like, I'm a legit freaking player. Give me the ball. It was almost like an NBA comparison. Like, give me the ball. I'm going to go do something with it. Like, and the way he turned was so direct. And yeah, I mean, there were plenty of people who were already fully on board with the ballistic train then. And I was certainly getting there after what I saw at the beginning of the season. But I think if you watch that, Daniel, if you watch ballistic out of the restart, whether you're American or not, and you're not a believer now when he's at least fit and on the pitch, I just don't think you're watching closely enough because I know it was a smaller amount of time, but that was one of the most convincing periods of play from a player I've seen in a while. So yeah, for an American, uh, I think that caught a lot of people's attention. You got to remember no one was doing anything during that time. Everybody was in the house. So I can't exactly give you the uh, report over here in America once again, because of COVID, but I guarantee you, yeah, that probably made him that much more, in people's minds. And I think once we do get back to normal, whatever that new normal is, I guarantee you, Daniel, go to a pub soon after and be for a Chelsea game. And I'll be surprised by the amount of people who have caught on to not just Christian Pulisic, but Chelsea, like Christian Pulisic can make Chelsea 
America's team. Yeah, I, I was stunned with with how good he was. But I think, you know, he had that, for me, very much defining week in the autumn last season where, what was it? He came on against Newcastle. And although he didn't get the assist, I think he very much changed the game then and almost helped to set up the pass before the pass. And then he came on against Ajax, set up the winner there. And then he got the Burnley hat-trick, which was just incredible. Um, the most amazing thing to me about Pulisic is you can talk about the speed, the acceleration, the dribbling, um, the, the incredible story in terms of him from a from a young age having to play in sort of older age groups, those incredible videos where he's just so small on the pitch and being able to deal with physical teams. I mean, that's why when I wrote an article about Pulisic about sort of Burnley and it was such a sort of a you could look back at the early days of him playing football having to play against uh, more physical players and then look at him against Burnley excelling as well and sort of seeing that comparison and, and he's been doing this almost all his life you know dealing with having to play play against older and more physical players and really excelling um, for me it's a, his anticipation for goals is just incredible um, I think he's got almost a Diego Costa sort of striker level instinct to be in the right place at the right time and that's weird because he is a that's limiting his game but for me what I, I just think when you make comparisons to Eden I think he can score many more goals than Hazard did and that doesn't mean he's going to be a better player than Eden Hazard because Eden Hazard was an incredible player for Chelsea don't get me wrong but I just think Pulisic could be that winger that could get over 20 goals I don't know if you agree because I think in terms of being in the right place at the right time when a cross goes into the box that you saw so many times last season or just his motivation and hunger to get on the score sheet i think he'll i think he's just so difficult to stop and i think he'll get a lot of goals yeah i totally don't disagree and that is going to be a big kind of u-turn or 180 from when he hadn't yet played for chelsea and i was thinking about how many goals he would score because let's be real in germany that was something you could at least raise a question about like will he be a goal scorer but my God, how can you watch, especially what he did out of the restart and not think that, yeah, he'll score goals, but also he clearly wants to score goals. Like he's telling you that through his play. So I think everything you said there was spot on. He just looks to do it more than Eden. Like that's just clearly when he's on the pitch, it's just a bit more of a priority from him. And it probably should be because let's be real, what Eden does best, I mean, really nobody does better than Eden Azar. I mean, Obviously, I mean, message is so clear, but there are certain things that Eden, when Eden is Eden, that just nobody does better than him. So there was two moments and I'm never going to be able to tell you the opponents because I just my brain doesn't work like that. But they were both in the restart. And well, actually, one of them was in, unfortunately, the FA Cup final when we lost to Arsenal. The goal he scored was just, of course, him being hungry to get in the middle of the box and finish something off and always wanting, of course, to have the ball around Giroud or somebody like that. See, Eden would use Giroud higher up the pitch to kind of make beautiful plays and to get the play started and to create some type of a great chance. But he would use Giroud as a target man out of the 18. Pulisic's probably looking to use someone like Giroud a little bit more in the 18. Hey, just literally touch that ball so I can put it in. So Pulisic, you can tell he's thinking of all unique ways to score. So much so my second example is maybe his first goal out of the restart. We were not doing well that game. Aston I think Villa, was, I think it, it was. He came off the bench and equalized. Far post. It was like a header or a tap-in or something like that. Far post. And he kind of came out of nowhere. I think we were wearing the black jerseys in that game. I, I, Yeah. So it was just like, wow, there's another random way Pulisic's looking to score. And if you look back at his nine Premier League goals last season, scored in a variety of ways. Like a variety 
of ways. He one time, of course, the hat trick, we all think it was a perfect hat trick, left, right, head, absolutely. But then in that really nice run of form, he scored kind of just like a poaching goal, as you would with a striker just running to net. Someone crossed it in towards the middle of the goal. I mean, you saw from him, really, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but like he was looking for all ways to score. He was showing a hunger to score. And if you, the only thing that will stop him, Daniel, from getting at least a couple seasons, at least one season of 20 goals is fitness. That's the only thing. Yeah, I think um, once he's back and hopefully maybe we'll see him start on Saturday or definitely I think he'll be starting a severe game. Um, I think you're going to see a different team that we've seen in the opening weeks of the season because he just he's so difficult to defend against. He wants those goals. He wants to score. He wants to create chances. Um, I think that he will be the star for me of this season um, if he gets a good run of fitness because I think um, he saw it last season. He became so integral. And with the new players to combine with as well, it's just so exciting to think about. Um, no, I haven't got long because you've got a dash. But um, last thing I want to sort of ask you about is sort of the future of Chelsea. I mean, it's a massive question, but I feel that something we talk about a lot is sort of bringing in Frank Lampard and bringing in young players and sort of seeing that opportunity for youngsters, but also combining that with some amazing signings as well. Um, do you think that Chelsea need to have sort of this realistic route now going forward in, in an actual path from Cobham to the first team, the academy to the first team? Because Lampard has shattered a glass ceiling and a right, we've signed a lot of big players this season. But for me, I, re I really think this should be the standard now. One or two players... Um, just constant opportunities for youngsters because I think it does the team and, and the club so good, so much good. But it also saves us a lot of money in transfer fees as well. I mean, you think about the amount of money Chelsea have saved with Mason Mount, Reese James, Fakaro Tamori, potentially uh, Tammy Abraham too, and Callum Martin-Odoi. Um, do you think that that's something that you want to see in the coming years, even if Lampard leaves sort of the next coach as well? No question. No question, because I don't even care. I mean, I do care, but I don't, really care what happens this season based on results because we can already say whatever happens with the players that Chelsea got in the transfer window you can already say that that transfer window isolated was a massive success anybody would say that because the prices you get those players for if you were to get someone really analytical right and was just all about telling you scientifically how good something was they would tell you that just forget the results and what happens after that transfer window from Chelsea besides not being able to sell some players was a historic success what allowed them to do that besides having the ban and selling Azar and Morata what allowed them to do that was the fact that they now have a bunch of first team players that they don't pay an amortization on so you just said it these young guys in the squad sure weekly salaries but there's no annual fee that they pay from their actual transfer there was no transfer no amortization I've talked about that a lot so it's always cheaper to have your own players that you have, once again, no amortization for. Now, they have to be worth it, Daniel, obviously. You can't just be including these guys to save money if they're just a waste of space. That wouldn't be helpful at all. But uh, it comes back to when there was a convo midseason about Tammy and if he was actually demanding what he was demanding weekly wages-wise. I don't want to get into that. But my whole argument there was if you even rate Tammy as a backup, as a backup, then it's smart to have him in the squad because that is way cheaper than having Michi, who is, forget whether you rate Michi or not, but you're paying Michi, fine, decent weekly wage too. Maybe Tammy's would be more. However, 
Michi, you're paying this additionally because he was a transfer for you. So if you believe in these players at all to be at least even squad players, it's smart to have them in there. So, yeah, whether Frank is here or not, I hope they never stray away from that because I'm sure Marina and, and there's some smart people there at the club who realize what having these players already in the squad has allowed them to do. Now, I still think a lot of this was the transfer ban and the Azar money and the Maratza money. But over time, Daniel, yes, having these players be important parts of your squad, just having them in the squad, once again, they could be bench players, that's going to do so much on the books, so much on the books. So it's a business strategy that is really smart and logical. It's actually why I was so freaking frustrated for so many years. I mean, I can't claim that was my number one reason why I wanted these players to play. I wasn't saying, so you can save money. No, it was a little further down the list. I wanted them to play because I believe in them. And I think they're really good players. But there are so many benefits to it. John Terry has talked about it. Like people within the game who know how good Chelsea's academy is, who also know the benefits of having those players. They've spoken about all the benefits to having these guys in. So I hope it never stops as long as, once again, these talents are worth it. But I don't have, especially with Frank in charge, Daniel, I don't have much fear that it will stop because Frank has talked about how he always wants to have, especially if COVID's not there, COVID's made it a bit uh, harder right now to have the Academy, the U23 team, et cetera, be with the first team. But you know, Frank's going to try that at every opportunity to get deserving youngsters, at least training with the first team. And then he's more in their vision and he can see, Hey, should this guy at least be included tomorrow for the FA Cup squad? Could this guy make the Champions League squad because we have a player suspended or injured? And you start to get that integration. You start to have somebody like Billy Gilmore last season not go on loan because Frank's thinking a little bit ahead and thinking, hey, we get an injury or a suspension. I might need Gilmore. And look, Frank forecasted that beautifully last season. So I love that that bridge there is so apparent now that Frank's made it. But I even think in general, just Chelsea-wise, they should be able to see all red deep already. Even cynics who think this project's not going well should be able to see the benefits of it. So, Daniel, in my opinion, I don't think the talent's going to stop at Cobham anytime soon. I am not as up-to-date on these groups now as I was when all of our guys were in the below groups. But I know there's some really nice talents coming through right now, U16, U17. But of course, you have players like Tino Andrin and some other players that you already know of. So it's not stopping. It's really not stopping. And I think the bridge will forever be there. They're still going to go for the Kais and the Timos and everything. And you have to do that being Chelsea and you should do that. But I think the bridge is always going to be there because once again, having these players helps you get the Kais and the Timos. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, final question. It's a difficult one. Um, if... Chelsea can only win one trophy with Frank Lampard. What trophy would you want that to be? Well, he would be the first English manager to ever win the Premier League with Chelsea. Would, I mean, with any Premier League team. So that still hasn't been done. So that would be beautiful. But I still think I have to say the Champions League. I, you know, I mean, I know he's won it as a player. We've won it. So it's not, I mean, if we hadn't won it, obviously that's the answer. You don't even have to ask that question because you just have to check that box. But yeah, yeah, the Champions League. But listen, it really, it's a much tougher question than maybe it normally would be because you have to compliment a Liverpool in a city that they make the thought of winning the Premier League now really freaking, I mean, it's always special but they've been so clearly the, the best two teams now for a few years. And really, if you consider City for even longer than that, 
that it almost seems like, you know, right now at this moment, it would still be too good to be true. You know, we're headed there and you know, we're going to be contenders for it for a while. But still at this moment, it seems like too good to be true. If you were to say, hey, Alex, I've seen the future and we win it this season. I'd be like, what? This is going to be the greatest season ever. I'm going to watch all these games five times you know what i mean so like right now liverpool and city have made winning the premier league all that much better even though it was always a great thing so it's a really hard question so honestly i'll go 51 percent champions league 49 percent premier league and maybe it normally wouldn't be that close i think the thing is with lampard even an fa cup or a league cup i think would be more special than it would be with other coaches i think just for fans just seeing mm-hmm. lampard when any piece of software i do agree with you the conflict i mean champions league greatest night in my life munich 2012 i mean it just was so special yeah. i mean don't think you can top it but the premier league now with that competition it is so intense um but thank you so much alex for for joining me for this conversation great to collab also thank you for getting me on the byline podcast uh guys if you haven't listened to that podcast uh, please go back and w- uh, listen to it we spoke about a lot of interesting topics even though it was i think pre west brom and palace we did talk about some wider topics that i think you'd like to listen to um but as i do with all my guests alex I want to give you the opportunity now to shout out where people can find your work online all right yeah appreciate it so you can follow me on twitter at alex goldberg underscore and then i pretty much keep it simple in terms of my content creating these days it's all on the byline on patreon so that's a podcast primarily we are adding a couple things to the byline on patreon that you'll hear about soon but it's a podcast of mainly me who will interview people from all over the industry. I try and keep it Chelsea-centric, but I'll definitely branch out. And then, yeah, I'll just be doing more post-pods this season as well. So besides the interviews I do, which will never, ever change, I don't care how busy Chelsea's schedule is, I always want to bring in interviews and Chelsea roundtables, of course, have that balance. But also, I'm going to do more post-pods. I think for a while, if people have followed me, I would do YouTube videos. So... Now, I just I can't be on eight different platforms, so I'm just keeping it centric on the byline on Patreon. But the same way I would do a YouTube post video, I'll now just be kind of doing a post pod. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter. And then really, you just get kind of all the news because I just have everything on that one channel. So, yeah, I mean, it's been awesome to come on. And I just want to say not to blow too much smoke up your rear end, but you do a great job on this channel. I really think you're fantastic for the community. I've always digged your setup, by the way. I know aesthetics don't mean a whole lot, but they matter a little bit. They do matter a little bit, at least to get people watching initially. So I like what you're doing and you're really good for the community, Daniel. So thanks so much for having me on. 